0: Praise God. Thank you. It's great to have Josh back behind the microphone. Thank you, Lord, for healing his throat. Oh, yeah, that was pretty good. You don't have to rush off, Carol. (laughs) Sorry. Thank you, Lord. Well, there are only a few of you here this morning who will remember this, but in 1678, (laughs) a man by the name of John Bunyan wrote what became a famous novel called The Pilgrim's Progress. I imagine a lot of you recognize that and perhaps, I hope, have read it. The Pilgrim's Progress was the first novel ever printed in English, became famous for that. Um, but it also became famous and important because it came as a result of 12 years of imprisonment. John Bunyan was in, was in uh, prison for 12 years. Uh, ask me what he was in for. He was in prison for 12 years for for preaching unauthorized services in England that the Church of England had a law that said every service, all preaching, all gatherings had to be authorized by the church. And he felt compelled just to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life. And uh, as he did that, he was imprisoned. Twelve years. I want you to think of your life twelve years ago. How different you'd be if you'd spent it in prison. Right? Right? and of all things, for the crime of preaching the gospel. Well, John Bunyan wrote this, this novel, The Pilgrim's Progress, and what it was, it was a dream in this novel. And uh, the principal character was a man named Christian, who in the beginning of the book, he's weighed down really heavily with his sin. He doesn't know what to do. Well, this character comes into the scene named Evangelist, who tells him about Christ, is the short order of it. He gives his life to Christ, and then he begins a journey from the city of destruction, which is his hometown, to the celestial city, which is heaven. And the Pilgrim's Progress is a book about his journey. Different characters come in in his journey, characters like worldly and obstinate. And these people come in, and what they try to do is they try to moderate his passion for Christ. They try to tell him to dial down a little bit. Just, you know, just don't be so on fire. Oh, Christian's own family, his wife and children, refuse to follow him in the pursuit of Christ. And so off he goes on his own on this journey. That's the first half of the book. The second half of the book is that his wife and kids decide to catch up. And they decide also to take the journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. This process between the city of destruction and the celestial city is something that's called sanctification. Sanctification. Sanctification is a big church word that, ta- that really is describing that thing that happens in us when God gets on the inside and he changes us. Because it turns out we're not going to heaven like this, right? That he's changing. That's good news, right? We're not going to heaven like this, that there's a process of our life where we encounter God, we experience God, and we're transformed into different people because of the work of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Word of God, That's a process called sanctification, and that's what I mean to talk with you about today. A little warning, I'm probably only going to get about halfway through this, which is where I wound up with the nine o'clock, and I kind of like to keep you together, okay? So this is probably going to be a two-parter, but I wasn't, uh, I was kind of surprised by that at nine, so we'll see when we get there. Father, we invite you to come into this place as I just bring a few minutes of teaching to the minds of these people, so that our, not only can our minds be enriched with knowledge, but our hearts can be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We don't want to leave here just knowing something more. We want to, we want to leave here being something more. And so we invite you, God, to come and do the work of your spirit as you, uh, as you decide. We're your church, and uh, I just relinquish my thoughts, my words to you, and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're doing is we're moving through this Through the Bible series and stop number 46, and we're really turning into the homestretch on this thing. For those of you who are new, for the last couple of years, uh, we've been uh, dabbling in and out of this Through the Bible series where, where we have spoken from every book of the Bible, and we've done a broad overview of it, and then each week just ask God to show us something specific about it. And so we're in the book of Philippians, which is the 11th book of the New Testament. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, you'll find it somewhere about half or two-thirds of the way, probably uh, maybe even three-fourths of the way through the New Testament. And um, uh, I'm going to do what I've, what I've been doing in this series all along. We're going to start with context. Like, so what is the context of the book of Philippians already? And, and what's going on in the bigger picture? And the questions that kind of emerge in my mind are, is it really Paul? Again? Paul again? Yeah, Paul is the author. Paul, the guy we encountered last week in the book of Ephesians, we've encountered before. Well, Paul is the apostle. Paul, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, right? And so this is the same guy. The guy who was radically transformed. The guy who, when we first encounter him, is a Jesus hater in the Bible, right? He's a Christian hater. And he gets transformed by the power of God from being a Christian hater to being the apostle to the Gentiles, the one God picks to carry the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. So don't tell God you can't do anything with him. He can't do anything with you, I mean. Don't tell God you can't, that he can't do anything with you. Right? Of course he can. And that's what he wants to do in each of us. The process of transformation called... Thank you. Thank you. Those of you who said that may go. Okay. So it is Paul again, and you say, is he in prison again? No, he's not in prison again. He's in prison still, right? And what's he in prison for? preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which was a real offense and a real problem for the powers that were. And so he was in prison for this very very thing of preaching the gospel of Jesus. And while he's in prison, he begins writing to some of the churches that he loves. They're called the prison epistle, and they are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then also the book of Philemon come, and they're often called the prison epistles. Who are the Philippians? They're the people who live in the city of Philippi done right philippi is an ancient macedonian city how many of you have read the book of acts some of you are just not voting are you you're just not going to raise your hand under any circumstances you wouldn't <laughs> that's okay it's okay it's a trick it's how we get you to start raising your hands around here we just ask you questions it's not uh what was i talking oh yeah book of acts uh so he, paul gets this macedonian call remember that So he says, I'm going this way, and the Holy Spirit says, no, i got other plans for you. You're going this way, right? And he learns that the Holy Spirit's plan is always the best plan, right? And so he gets called over to Macedonia, right? And he establishes some believers there, some through the preaching of the gospel, including in the city of Philippi. Now, these Philippians who lived in this city, these believers, they were also Gentiles, largely Gentiles, So that's really good news for us because most of us did not raise up with a Jewish heritage where we got all this stuff uh, in that way, but we're Gentiles. We are outside of the Jewish family heritage, um, physically, um, and ancestrally, uh, but we're invited into the family of God by the work of Jesus Christ. So this stuff just makes a ton of sense for us. Book of Philippians, let's look at the high spots Let's move on to what are the kind of the big things that stand out in the book of Philippians. Well, first in chapter 2, there's the divine kenosis passage. I know you thought kenosis was a little pastry, but that's a cannoli. It's kenosis, kenosis, which is a Greek word that means empty, emptying. And so in chapter 2 of Philippians, it talks about Jesus. And it says, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but he made himself nothing. Okay, prepare for some strange math. The math of heaven is not like the math of earth. Jesus Christ came into the world, and he was 100% man and 100% God. Right? Some of you are really having fits right now, because you say there can't be a 200% of one thing, right? I know, I know. Right? The Bible says, now we see through a glass dimly, then we'll see face to face. Now we know in part, then we'll know fully, right? This is the math of heaven. Jesus Christ came as, the, as, the, as, the, as, the, as very God in the flesh, and he was 100% God, 100% flesh, right? All right, deal with it, Jack. I, I, got, no, I got nothing more than that. It's a fact that I, in which I have faith. Now, what the Bible does tell us is that though Jesus was fully God while he was here, He set aside his right to be God. His right to function as God. He set that aside. For what purpose? So that he could live a fully human life. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ was even tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. This group's pretty good over here, okay? You should hang around over. Maybe next week you could move over here, some of you people. Yet was without sin. Okay? He, he lived a fully human life, tempted in every way, yet was without sin. And then you also have to notice, if you read the Gospels, that Jesus did some pretty amazing stuff, yes? Well, if he set aside his right to be God, how was he doing that stuff? Holy Spirit, t- why don't I just come over here, okay? Holy Spirit, that's right in the in the present power of the Holy Spirit, and when Jesus was baptized, fully God, fully man at that point, and yet somehow the Holy Spirit descended upon him, right? And it launched his ministry. And so what Jesus shows us, uh, and he's uniquely this, there's no way we're ever going to be Jesus. We don't have a shot at it. We don't have the right DNA. Um, there's no way we can do that, but uh, what Jesus shows us is is the supreme example of a spirit-filled person, right? And it's the supreme example. But didn't he say something crazy like, if anybody has faith in me, he'll do what I've been doing? Didn't he say even he'll do even greater, gr- greater things than these because I'm going to the Father? So through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his going to the Father, there was a mechanism established through which the Holy Spirit can be poured out on Tim Harris so that he has the capacity by the Spirit of God, not by your own strength, right? By your own works, lest any man should boast, but by that Spirit to step in to that arena of of the power of God working through us. That's pretty amazing. So this passage is one of the high points of the book of Philippians, I love the way it rolls on. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Right? Therefore... Now, we just saw what that's there for, right? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hello? All right. That's a pretty important passage, is the divine kenosis, okay? Okay. Flip over a page to chapter 3, and you'll see also that I think another high point of this is also uh, the sufficiency of Christ. And Paul is talking about all of his credentials as a Jew of Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee, uh, rabbi, yada, yada, yada He's going on. And he says, I consider it all rubbish. Scubalon in Greek. I love that word, right? Scubalon. That's a great word because it means a stinking, steaming pile of poo is what it means, okay? It's scubalon. He said, I consider it all scubalon for the sake of knowing Christ because Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross is all that we need. And we can't add to our salvation by, by accomplishing these things. We can't take away from our salvation by having bad days. What? it's either all-sufficient or it's not, right? Now, I don't want to give anybody a license to go out and intentionally have bad days, of course. That shows that something else is a little bit wiggled wrong, right? But in reality, good days, I'm saved by the merits of Jesus Christ. Bad days, I'm saved by the merits of Jesus Christ. The sufficiency of the cross of Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, yeah, I've got my law degree, but you know what? I don't wear it. He says, I don't wear it. I don't wear it on my sleeve because it's not what's important about me, he says. Okay? The sufficiency of Christ. Now, the third high spot here is um, Paul's incredible perspective regarding his imprisonment in chapter 1. So Paul's in prison. Why is he in prison again? Preaching the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus. Ticked everybody off. And uh, he's in prison for that, and he has this amazing perspective. I don't see myself being excited about being in prison, right? I don't, I don't see that role in that way in me. Should it ever happen? And here's what he says. He says, "Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel." And he's, what he's saying is, "I'm not happy about this, but it's good. I'm not happy." But God's doing something good, right? As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else. So, what he's saying here here's what's good about this, about me being in prison. He says the guards are becoming Christians, the guards are giving their lives to Christ. It'd be hard to be around Paul and not fall to that, right? So he says, man, it's really good that I'm in here. He says, the second reason it's really good that I'm in here is that because I'm in here, I'm getting word that those who are preaching the gospel outside are doing so so more boldly because I'm in here. So he says, woo, woo, yay, Jesus, right? Right? And he says, his perspective is incredible. He says, it's true that there are some people out there who are preaching the gospel for dishonest slash selfish gain, but he says, you know what I say to that? Boy, that's going to suck for them later, but the gospel's being preached while they're doing it, right? That's an incredible perspective. That's, that's, really good. that's really an incredible, incredible perspective. And it kind of speaks, doesn't it, to when we're in those spaces in our life, that that perspective is somehow available. That in the unfair, disparaging moments in our life, that that perspective is somehow available to us. That's an incredible encouragement to me. And then the last high point, and this is where I'm just going to stop today and we'll finish next week. Uh, so I'm really not going to talk about sanctification today after all. All right? All right. Okay. Did you say thank you? Well, I love you, darling. You know I love you. Is it because, I'm just kidding. We'll talk after. No, here's, here's the coolest part of this whole book for me. Paul talks about a pastor's affection for his people. I can't get past this. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Remember, he's in prison, right? I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you, almost like a pastor praying for his people, right? And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, and here's the sanctification part, by the way, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, right? He's just not done, right? He's not even close to being done. That's part of the situation with God. You're never done. Okay? And he says, It's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. This is big old tough Paul, right? This is Paul that, man, he says some hardcore stuff from time to time, doesn't he? And he's just saying, You Philippians, I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. He said, I know we're, we're in this together. I have you in my heart. And, and then this next verse is the one that just really gets me going. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul just loved his people. Hardcore as he was. He just, he says, I just long, I'm not with you, and I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I can so dial into that. Okay, yes, Lord. Because I love you guys. And I know you do. I know you love me back. And the, this is an incredible thing that we have here. I, I don't get around a lot, so I would never compare us to any place else, but I would know this. This is an incredible thing that we have here in all of our glorious imperfections. This is, a, this is an incredible thing we have here. And I just want to tell you that I have for you the affection of Christ Jesus. I mean I feel you. Sorry guys, I'm getting all vulnerable on us here, but listen. I I mean like I got a thing for you, you know what I'm saying, right? I got a thing for you. <laughs> we got a thing going on. Dinner dinner y'all are my Mrs. Jones. I love you guys. I mean, and I know you love me back, so. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't some of you that I want to strangle. I mean, I No, it's true, but that's part of how love rolls, right? Even in this, uh, Karen and I were talking about this yesterday as I was talking about this passage. We were just doing our thing, or Little Tom and Karen thing together and we were in here and, uh, and we were talking about how much we love you guys and then I remembered how this whole book ends where he says, I plead with Yodi and Syntyche to get along with each other in the Lord, right? He says, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, doggone it, get along, right? It's basically. Because that's all part of it, isn't it? That in this mess that God has created here, There's just a lot of love in the house. There's just a lot of love in this house. It's not perfect love, but it's the affection of Christ Jesus, and it comes from the experience of the Father's love for us because we love because He first loved us, right? That's what's going on here. There's a lot of things that this place is never going to be. It's just never going to be that. And we're always going to be fixing stuff, all right? but the one thing will always be is you are loved here. A lot of power in that. It's messy. Some of you have been on my strangle list. And if you haven't, you will be. It's just th- That's the thing. I've been here for 24 years and I've just fallen in love with you. And so I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I so get that. And I don't think I would have, nor would you have, had we not been together this long. You know? This just takes time to get over the kind of the expectations that people have of church and pastors and each other and get into this really neat spot. So I just want to invite you this morning to Come into that affection of Christ Jesus with him, with each other, with me. It doesn't have to be a uniquely pastoral perspective at all. We can can get there with each other. There's a lot of work to do. The Bible says love covers over a multitude of sins, right? Right? But man, it's worth it, right? Let's invite the Holy Spirit.